Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. We have news of an arrest in the Giuliani probe and new information that changes the scope and the timing of a clearly widening FBI investigation into this president's lawyer. This is far bigger than just a criminal probe. What do you say? Let's get after it. All right, so here's our new understanding. Since at least early 2019, the FBI has been investigating counterintelligence concerns regarding Rudy Giuliani and his activities abroad. This is not speculation. It's from a lawyer who says he was questioned by the feds about these issues. Now, think about what this means. At the same time, the president was allowing his personal lawyer to run a shadow foreign policy agenda in Ukraine, if not elsewhere. The feds were looking into whether Giuliani was posing a national security risk. A source tells CNN the counterintel investigation partly hinges on whether foreign actors were trying to take advantage of Giuliani's business connections to reach the White House. This comes the two guys that were indicted who paid Giuliani, known for not the best kinds of activities. News now of a fourth being taken into custody. Today is the 1,000th day of the Trump presidency. Did you ever think we'd be where we are? Let's bring in the FBI insiders to make sense of this. Andrew McCabe and Jim Baker, thank you uh, so much. There's too much to just bandy about here. So we got the wall going uh, tonight just to show you know, a little bit of a flow chart of what we see as the spokes coming off the hub that is obviously uh, Giuliani. And now just to bring people up to speed on what we're looking at, these, highs, these highlighted references. Counterintelligence is different than criminal. It's not just about looking at statutes. It's about looking at the nature of behavior and what it could mean from a national uh, security perspective. You now have Iran and speeches, let's leave that to the side uh, for now. The two fellows may work it in. But State Department with what was going on with Ukraine, how that dovetails with his work for Turkey. And now one or maybe more clients that needed something from the United States government. Was he their lawyer? He hasn't been clear. Was he supposed to register as a lobbyist? There are a lot of big concerns. So, Andrew, let's start with you. When you look at the new information... Uh, about uh, what Giuliani was trying to do uh, for people involved in Turkey and the meetings that were had. What stands out to you that is new in the state of play? Well, Chris, uh, I think it's helpful to to remind ourselves that the standard for opening an FBI counterintelligence case is when you have information, credible, articulable facts that indicate a threat to national security might exist. When you think about that standard, and you look at the facts, the few facts that we know, and mind you, the Southern District, I'm sure, has many more facts than we do. But you see Mr. Giuliani uh, 
reportedly, repeatedly lobbying the president and others in the administration to return Fatula Gulen to the Turks, something that has been very high on Erdogan's and just to list. remind people, uh, Gulen is a cleric. Uh, he was here. He now has residence in the United States. Erdogan believes he was part of a coup to get him. He wants him back. Giuliani, all of a sudden, goes to the United States president and says, you should give Gulen back. So, Jim, the question becomes, why? He says, I wasn't working for Turkey. Well, who else would want, assuming he's telling the truth, who else would want Gulen returned? Well, this is exactly right. So, as, uh, as Andy was saying, starting an investigation, I would think of it as asking a question. Do we have a basis to open the investigation? And if so, what is going on here? Exactly what you're saying. What, what was Mr. Giuliani doing? Who was he working for? What level of knowledge did he have about what the foreign government authorities were trying to do? And so that is what I assume that the FBI is trying to sort out. The facts are very confusing, but that's typical with a counterintelligence probe because the adversaries are trying to make it difficult for us to figure out what's going on. And the key thing here, I think, one of the things that I expect the FBI is focused on is not Giuliani per se, but what the foreign actors were trying to do and trying to assess whether, whether Mr. Giuliani, Mr. Giuliani, did he know what was going on? Was he participating? What level of involvement did he have? Or was he merely a dupe who was being used uh, by more sophisticated actors to try to influence U.S. policy because of Mr. Giuliani's uh, direct access to the president of the United States, that was something that they would cherish. A foreign adversary would cherish that type of access directly right. to the president. Uh, now, Jim, were, they, were they playing him? Jim, I have one more question, but I do have to say just an editorial point for the audience. I find it so hard to believe that anybody could play Rudy Giuliani on this level. The players that we know about so far, these guys who've been indicted, it would be shocking to me if the man that I've known all these years could be manipulated by people at this level. I just have to put it out there because my interest is fairness. Now, Jim, uh, when we look at this, just to help me out here, Ellie, uh, my director. with So the cleric, all right, that's Gulen. That's what we're talking about. This is a question of who was Rudy helping to deal with this? Because he hasn't said, you know, I just felt it was unfair, so I talked to my pal, the president. That takes us, um, a little sloppy, I'm not the Wizard of Oz, this gold dealer here also, okay, that he was helping out. Andrew, again, this, the question there is, he says, at, at the same time, he says, I'm not working uh, for any government, and I don't have to register as a lobbyist, but I can't talk to you about why I was trying to get this Iranian Turkish gold dealer out of a criminal situation with the United States because of attorney client privilege. OK, so he's the lawyer. Uh, does right. that mean that he is exempt from any laws requiring registration? It does not. There are certain uh, technicalities built into that exemption from FARA that you're referring to, that, that his activity in basically lobbying on Reza Zarab's behalf to the president might not qualify him for that, for that exemption. But, Chris, the important thing here is not just that he pushed for Fatullah Gulen or that he pushed for Reza Zarab, but that he did both. These were two people who were incredibly important to the president of Turkey to get them back. Gulen, because he's got a vendetta against the guy, and Reza Zarab, because he allegedly has all kinds of information about Turkish corruption that leads right back to Erdogan. So what if I'm getting paid by somebody back. else who's not a part of the government? 
um, but has some type of affinity to Erdogan. Uh, do I escape scrutiny, Jim? No. I mean, it's, it, the question is whether you were working for a foreign principal and not registering. So it doesn't have as, to be as, a government. It can be a person. It could be a corporation. A foreign principal. Well, yes, I think I, I think that's right. Yes, I think that's right. And so the question is, what was Giuliani doing? What was he intending to do? I do, th- you know, back to the question we were talking about before, Chris. I mean, I do think that there is, you know, the, the Russian intelligence services are more sophisticated than Rudy Giuliani. I'm sorry to, to, to tell him, but uh, but they are. And so could they have been playing him through these cutouts? Could these people in the middle have been cutouts either for Russian intelligence or Ukrainian, right. or Turkish, somebody else? I mean, I, so we, we just don't know. All right. So look, on, on this side, this whole circle of consideration, this is all about money, all right? Who was Rudy paying? That's supposed to be a U, technically, right? It's the U.S. That's the dollar sign. Uh, who was paying Rudy to help the cleric? Who was paying with the gold dealer? What were these speeches about in Iran that you're going to start hearing more about? The idea of him being pro bono, uh, I'm doing this for free with the president, takes us into this whole other side of the analysis. That's why it wasn't surprising to me here that it was counterintelligence and criminal. Because, uh, Andrew, it, just in terms of what we are looking at in terms of what we've heard of all of this coordinated testimony of people saying, yep, it was shadow foreign policy going on with Ukraine. Yep, we didn't like it. Yep, we wanted to push Giuliani back. Yep, we didn't understand why the president was doing this. Where does that lead you as an investigator? Well, on the counterintelligence side, one of the things you're always concerned about are what we call access and influence operations. So that's someone who has access to a government decision maker and that may be being used by a foreign power. So so it doesn't matter, in essence, um, you know, the counterintelligence investigators are not going to be so focused on what State Department's reaction was to Giuliani's activity. They are simply looking at what he did and who he was acting on behalf of. The fact that he was in there lobbying for, in the case of Turks, it appears to be on, for, on several, different, several different fronts. We also know that he was doing a lot of work in Ukraine, uh, which, as I understand it, he explains by saying, well, my foreign business ventures, I'm not representing those foreign governments to the U.S. government. I'm just helping them in foreign countries. If if those foreign ventures are turning into conversations with the president and, and secretaries, uh, cabinet secretaries in the White House, that excuse doesn't hold up. And some of the testimony today, we have Senator Chris Murphy coming on for some perspective on this. He heard testimony from some uh, someone today that substantiates The idea uh, that Rex Tillerson, then secretary of state, was pressured by the president to help Giuliani with what Mm -hmm. he was talking about on this Turkish uh, front. And who would have guessed that so quickly we would have gotten to a point where the best thing Rudy Giuliani has going for him and our president, frankly, was this belief in a nonsense conspiracy theory about who was out to get the president in 2016. That's the only part of this that's clean, fellas, is that if they believe this conspiracy theory that the Ukrainians were out to get Trump, that was the only legit you know, corruption that they could have been thinking about. And it's completely made up. Andrew, Jim, thank you so much for helping us to understand this. There's so many questions going forward. I will need you then. I appreciate you now. All right, we're going to pick this up with another counter intel authority. This is complicated stuff, this Farah. It's easy to say uh, an acronym, but to understand, well, what do you have to register for and when? Is this just penny any stuff? Why do we care about any of this? Follow the foreign money trail. When does it become criminal? When does it become at least a concern? An expert, next. 
All right, so let's try to get a little deeper into what we're going to be hearing about with this Rudy Giuliani probe. The Foreign Agents Registration Act. You'll hear me mangle it as FARA and FARA. It's an acronym, F-A-R-A. It is not an area of the law that you hear a lot. Uh, but the implications are high for our democracy and, frankly, for Mr. Giuliani. Now, David Lofman knows this corner of the law well. He oversaw enforcement of this law for the DOJ and now helps clients navigate this complicated framework. It is so good for you to come in. I appreciate this. All right, let's start macro, get micro. Um, Why do we care about this? When you look at how often it's used, it's very discreet. It's irregular. With Flynn, it was used as a political gotcha, we were told. Why does this matter, this area of the law? Well, this is a statute that was enacted in the 1930s in response to activities by pro-Nazi German elements in the United States, some of whom were engaged in subversive propaganda and activities. And at its core, the statute is about promoting transparency and disclosure, for example, in lobbying activities or public relations activities so that the American people or U.S. lawmakers, when confronted with content, whether it's lobbying or an op-ed, can make an informed assessment based on who they know the real party is behind it. If it's a foreign party, then the American people should be able to take that into account and assigning whatever weight to it they want. So for Rudy Giuliani, that means if you are involved with something that is of significance to a foreign power and you're being paid to solicit any help from the United States in the form of the president or whatever, you need to register. The way it works is that if you are acting in the United States on behalf of a foreign principle, broadly defined to include not only governments, but foreign political parties, it could be a foreign corporation, a nonprofit, and you are engaged in certain conduct described in the statute as triggering registration, like lobbying, for example, or public relations activities, then you have an obligation to register with the Department of Justice within 10 days of even entering into agreement to do those things, unless you come with an, an exemption to registration. All right, so let's take it one step at a time. One, on the basis of the meat of what it's about, you think Rudy has exposure? I think there are legitimate questions for the department to be devoting investigative resources to to unpack what he did, on whose behalf he did it, what knowledge he had at relevant junctures. This effort to bring about the removal of Fatula Gulen. Is, the cleric. The cleric is right out of President Erdogan's playbook. He we, says, I'm not representing Turkey. Well, that would be something that investigators would look into. Um, You know, if he's not representing a foreign interest, then whose interest is he representing and seeking to bring about something that is among the highest priorities of the Turkish president? And then he dovetails that with saying, in general, again, he hasn't been very specific, certainly not to the the media or the American public. And he has, to our understanding, not been with investigators yet. Uh, He says he doesn't even need a lawyer. Um, But he'll say attorney-client privilege can't talk to you about these things. All right. So he's suggesting he's working as an attorney, whether it's in the Gulen matter and or with the Iranian Turkish gold uh, trader who he was trying to help. If he is working as a lawyer, when is he exempt from registration? If he were a lawyer engaged in civil or criminal proceedings before an agency or in a judicial proceeding and this activity was connected to that, he could come within the scope of this exemption for Lawyers, But that exemption is narrowly confined if he's engaged in other things like trying to influence U.S. government policy. For example, we want to kick this cleric out of the United States to placate our, our friend Recep Erdogan. Or he wants to uh, can a U.S. ambassador to Ukraine because 
the Trump administration doesn't think she's with the program, those things would fall outside the protection of this exemption for legal services. How easy a case is that to make? If Rudy says you're wrong, I'm not representing any of these people, and you're not going to get your hands on them as foreign nationals, how do you make the case? Well, he invited the government to examine his digital devices, for starters. I mean, look, the government's going to unpack the facts of this case like they would undertake any investigation. They're going to interview witnesses. Um, If they have a grand jury panel, they could subpoena bank records. They could issue search warrants for his email records. You begin to develop an evidentiary mosaic of what happened through all through the exercise of all logical investigations. It's not like Congress where you can say you're supposed to obey their subpoenas also, but they don't have the teeth of the DOJ. Oh, these are grand jury subpoenas. Anyone who defies a grand jury subpoena does so at their peril. So now you have those two instances that we've learned about and spur counterintelligence. That means it's not so much about a crime, but it's about national security issues. And then you move over to the people who were indicted for supposedly trying to funnel Russian money into, the accusation is, into U.S. elections. Rudy was also being paid for them. They seem to have had aligned interests in removing then-ambassador to Ukraine from the United States. Where does that take you? Well, that portion of the indictment that you're referencing seems to cry out Farah. But they weren't charged with Farah. They were charged with campaign finance violations. But um, it's likely, I imagine, that the Southern District of New York, if they are conducting as broad-based an investigation as the newspapers tell us they are, that there's some element of that that includes whether Mr. Giuliani uh, committed a violation of FARA. To commit a criminal violation of FARA, one has to willfully violate the statute. That means you knew you had an obligation to register and you willfully failed to do so. That's a higher burden of proof for the government to establish, but that's what investigations are for. Mm. I got to tell you, Mr. Loffman, this is complicated stuff. But, you know, the more we learn, the more it seems to fit into these areas where Rudy has obviously not the legal burden that's for the government to make. But to the American public and his representation of the president, he has some explaining to do about who he was helping, why he was doing these things, because they're starting to stack up. Thank you so much in advance. Uh, I ask you to help me uh, understand these things as we go forward. We get more meat on the bones. Happy to do so. All right. I appreciate uh, the beginning of what I think will be a long relationship. Good to be with you. All right. So foreign policy concerns. Um, Things are starting to dovetail on a very separate issue. But of course, of major importance to us, the letter from the president to the president of Turkey today. Nothing about any of the Rudy things, but about the Kurds. Senator Chris Murphy is here, and he's got two purposes for us today. He can help us understand the state of play on Syria and our allies and what's going to happen about it. And what did he hear in Congress today in testimony that helps understand the range of concerns about what happened in Ukraine with this president and his lawyer? Next. Just the more we learn, the more troubling this situation is. And just as demonstrable fact, there's no supposition necessary. President Trump reportedly wanted his then secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, to help broker a deal to get a Turkish gold trader out of water. Why would a president deal with something that discreet? Well, guess who was working on the matter? And guess who the president wanted our secretary of state to work with? Rudy Giuliani. The president is going to have to answer for how he paid Rudy back for his free legal work. I don't even know legally whether this president could accept something of that much monetary value for free. Now, on top of that, 
all of these new questions about what Rudy's interests were, financial and otherwise. Those questions take us to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Today, they had testimony from a senior State Department official. Let's get to Democratic senator and member of that committee, Senator Chris Murphy. I got to tell you, Senator, the questions have been stacking up faster than I expected here. I thought we were going to be one and done with Ukraine as an analysis. Where is your head after what you heard today? Well, I mean, this is really um, hard to understand uh, how Rudy Giuliani effectively became the most powerful foreign policy figure in the Trump administration, how he became the shadow secretary of state. We are learning more and more about uh, how he was essentially running our Ukraine policy and directing a whole host of senior officials uh, that were operating through his direction. Uh, But we're now learning more and more by the hour about how integral he's been to the president's bizarre policy with respect to Turkey. Uh, As you mentioned today, we heard testimony from a senior official at the State Department who confirmed that he had taken a couple meetings with Rudy Giuliani um, with respect to this request Giuliani was making to let off this gold trader uh, from prosecution for avoiding U.S. sanctions. Uh, Did Rudy admit to that man, Senator, just just to like have the audience follow along, did Rudy tell this the official I represent this guy. I'm his lawyer. So we certainly didn't learn that uh, today. Um, what uh, what Brian Hook, the State Department official, said was that uh, former Attorney General uh, Mukasey came in to talk about Reza Zarab, and he brought Rudy Giuliani with him both times. We also have this other reporting uh, suggesting that uh, Trump asked Tillerson on Giuliani's behalf to try to step in. And I think it's important to note there's no national security rationale for letting somebody like this off the hook for avoiding sanctions. Remember, Trump has been making a huge deal over the course of the last two years about how he is imposing these crippling sanctions on Iran. And actually, there's truth to that. So why on earth was this one individual afforded preferential treatment other than he had Rudy Giuliani shilling for him? So where does that take you in terms of what your concerns are uh, when you look at uh, the broader question of this president and his abuse of office with what we learned about with Rudy Giuliani in Ukraine? So, listen, I think it's hard right now to jump to conclusions. I mean, you hinted at one possible explanation. If Rudy Giuliani was running Ukraine policy for the president and trying to get the Bidens and the Clintons investigated and wasn't uh, charging the president for that work, uh, was the president giving him consideration um, in some other form through Turkey policy changes that benefited Rudy's bottom line? I mean, listen, we don't we don't know that to be the case today, but we can't come up with any uh, policy reasons why Trump was doing Giuliani's bidding. Uh, and we can't figure out why Giuliani was doing the Ukraine work for free on behalf of the president. So there's lots of dots to connect here. But it does suggest that this Ukraine story, which we know is correct corruption at its core may be connected to some of the strange things that have been happening uh, surrounding Turkey. I am shocked that Rudy Giuliani believes he does not need a lawyer at this time. He's got a counter intel and a criminal investigation going on by Trump's DOJ. I know it belongs to the American people, but it cannot be easy to get that kind of probe started against the president's lawyer in this current political climate. Now to the bigger concern. The president had this letter that had to be penned by him uh, today. Um, Here's a letter that was released 
least, I guess, to kind of help bolster the idea that this president is serving American interests in Turkey, uh, kind of insulting the Turkish leader about don't be a fool. I'll come after you. Do the right thing. Is it fair to say, Senator, that the only reason we're in this situation of watching the Kurds fighting for their lives is because of what this president did? Well, absolutely. Uh, The president um, greenlighted Turkey uh, into Syria. He cleared the way so the Turkish troops could enter uh, and slaughter, annihilate the Kurds. It's the most massive, most horrific double cross, uh, perhaps in the recent history of the presidency. Uh, And the president is now panicking. I mean, he realizes that there's no constituency that supports this. Republicans don't support it. Democrats support it. Uh, Nobody in the foreign policy community supports it. And the Kurds are being annihilated as we speak. ISIS, so why did he do uh, it? Detainees are fleeing. So why did he do it? I, listen, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Obviously, we've got to get to the bottom of the Giuliani story. We need to understand Trump's financial dealings. I will say this. You know, the president has been pretty clear from the get-go that he wanted our troops uh, out of Syria. But if that were the case, there was a way to do it um, that made a lot more sense than pulling them out with a day's notice. Our troops ran for their lives. We are tonight bombing our installations inside Syria because we left so quickly, we couldn't get rid of all of our stuff. Um, he didn't have to do it this way, even if this was a policy choice he's, had, he's wanted to make for a while. You saw the reports from a Russian journalist who's inside U.S. bases. You know, they were there just a couple of days ago. Now the Russians are in there and they're doing stories about how Americans lived on the base. Just crazy, crazy days. Senator Chris Murphy, thank you for helping us understand the state of play and make some sense of where we're headed. Thank you. Thanks. Now, look, a lot of these questions wind up playing to big ideas about what our elected leaders are supposed to be about. And there is something interesting that a number of Republicans signed on to rebuke this president for abandoning Kurds as our allies. But not all of them, not the co-chair of the Problems Solver Caucus. Why not? Congressman Reid is here to make the case. Next. All right, there's bipartisan backlash against this president and specifically his decision to withdraw troops from Syria. Uh, There was a big vote today. A House vote overwhelmingly condemned the president's move 354 to 60. We don't see that kind of bipartisanship these days. It shows you what a stark issue this is. Less than a third of Republicans stuck by Trump on this issue. And I don't get why any of them did. Now, one of them is Congressman Tom Reed of New York. Congressman uh, is part of uh, co-chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Question is, does today's vote show more of a problem ducking disposition? Congressman, I appreciate you coming on to make the case. Chris, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Now, the concern is obvious, Congressman, that if you don't vote the way your colleagues did today, you are saying it was okay to abandon our allies. Is that the message you want to send? No, the message I'm sending is Congress needs to do its job. The Congress has been play, playing fast and loose with authorizing our men and women to be put in harm's way. When Obama came to us and asked for our approval in Congress for putting boots on the ground in Syria, I was against that. And right now, I don't know how members of Congress, in the hypocritical way that they voted today, said it's okay to have troops on the ground when they're not authorizing those troops and making the argument that, that the president didn't have authority to put those troops there on Syrian ground. Now, I'm I said, with you. Congress 
Congress do its job. I'm with you. We use the hashtag do your damn job here. We're so vulgar Amen. about AUMF. I've been talking about this forever, but I don't know that I can give you credit for it on that because one, when he bombed in Syria, you didn't say not to. I can't find anything about you on that. And I get not wanting troops in Syria. That's a principled position. I'm not going to attack it. But abandoning your allies is the best way to get troops out of Syria. That's what you wanted to see. Now, I understand the concern and the impact that it has on our allies and the Kurds. But at the end of the day, uh, we as congressmen owe an obligation uh, to those men and women who are going to risk their lives. We in Congress should be on the record whether or not we support those men and women being on the ground in Syria. And it's not there. There's no authority by Congress to do this. And we act stronger, Chris, when Congress backs our troops up by going on the record. And nobody wants to take that vote because that's politically. But that's what they say this vote was, Congressman. The men and women who are on the ground there, you've seen the stories about how betrayed they feel. I'm not talking about the Kurds. I'm talking about the Americans. And this was a chance for you and Congress to say, hey, Mr. President, I don't know what's going through your head, but this isn't the way America behaves. You sent the opposite message. No, I sent the message that if we're going to put our men and women, I owe my primary duty to our men and women in our military. And if we're going to send them into harm's way, we better in Congress be on the record supporting that action as a Congress. And what these guys did today was duck that responsibility. And they were able to say, well, we're going to condemn Trump. But at the same time, when this question comes about redeploying troops to Syria, are they going to say President Trump had the authority to do it? No, I bet you those folks will say at that point in time, no, President, you don't have authority to do that when they're condemning him exactly that today. I don't see the two things as the same. And I, although I hope you're right in the second part of the analysis, my criticism of you guys is you let this president and presidents before him take your authority. Congress is supposed to declare war and you guys won't even negotiate a new AUMF. And by the way, Republicans stop it. So you should go after your own colleagues. But that's not what today was. I totally go against my colleagues. And that was what the vote today was. No, today was you should not have abandoned the the Kurds. No, when I went to the floor of the House, that was my objection to my Republican and Democratic colleagues. You have not done your job. There's no authority in Congress to have these men and women on Syrian ground. And that's what President Obama asked me. That's where I took the position then. And I reaffirm that position today. If we're going to do this, give me a clear mission. Give me authority in Congress. Congress do its job. And then we send the message to all our allies. Congress is backing up our commander in chief. Have you and said we're there to until this, the mission is complete. Have you said to this commander in chief, I want you to understand what my vote is today. Uh, I yeah. don't believe we should be in Syria. But what you did with the Kurds was cowardly. And it was wrong and it was un-American. And now we look terrible and we don't have any guarantee of allies to fight against ISIS who you just enhanced. And, Chris, I guess you you approve of men and women being in Syria under our military uh, banner and doing that without congressional authority. That's my fundamental. I've been asking you guys to do your job. You haven't. You didn't speak out against this president when he bombed in Syria. So I don't know where this genuine belief that you have now is in terms of consistency. But if they're there already, you can't double the wrongs. You don't you did a double wrong here. Okay, Chris, I appreciate that judgment. But what I will say when you're bombing, seeking intelligence, that's different than putting men and women on the soil. Oil, boots on the ground. True, but they're both use the of military force. And you're supposed to do both. The only time the Amen. president can do it himself, as you know, is imminent threat to us, our people, Correct. or our foreign interests. That bombing didn't qualify, but you never said anything. 
And when, when we bring our men and women home, I would share that concern about our men, men and women, and that's why I'm going to continue to stand. If we're going to go into harm's way, Congress needs to do its job. That's the message I sent today. That's how I read the resolution, and I'm proud of the vote that I put down today then, for a marker of the people. I hear what you're arguing, Congressman, but why did you argue that you recognize the long relationships that we have with our allies and that this president knows who our friends are across the world and will stand with them through thick and thin? Did he stand with the Kurds through thick and thin? Uh, I understand that concern. I accept that uh, criticism. But at the end of the day, this is about prioritizing men and women of the military over the Kurds. I chose to stand with the men and women of the military. But couldn't you have done both? Well, that's exactly the point. We should do both. And that's where Congress needs to do its job. This political cowardice has to stop. Congress has to do its job, have this vote on, on the floor of the House and in the Senate. But for years, they've been ducking this question. They ducked it with President Obama. They're ducking it with I President agree with you Trump. About all and I totally agree. I agree totally with you about all that on the AUMF. That I don't see this as an AUMF issue, but I'll give you that. Let me just ask you something about cowardice, just to make sure. This group is 60. I can't make you a monolith. Uh, but just for you personally, Congressman Reid, uh, if this president has a compelling case made against him of an abuse of power based on what happened in Ukraine and maybe otherwise, are you even open to voting for articles of impeachment? Well, it depends on where we go with uh, this uh, uh, process. But it, I see right now, I don't see impeachable offenses, but I can't predict the future. I, and I so will you're just tell open. you right now, right now, what I see is not an impeachable offense. I, I don't that. see uh, this level of uh, aggression or transgression uh, that the Democrats think that impeachment is worthy of. Understood. But you're open. Well, of course, anytime you have evidence that's new or a different uh, presentation of the facts, of course, you're always open to that. All right. Congressman Tom Reed, I appreciate you come, coming on to make the case. You're always welcome to do that, sir. Chris, it's always good to be with you. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, does today's Syria vote? Why, why am I asking these questions about impeachment? What does that have to do with this? He, here's my argument that's coming up. Why did these 60 men and women stay with the president on something that is so wrong? I gave Tom Reed his say about authorization for use of military force. I argue that's not what today was about. I'm going to make the argument to you about what today says about what's coming in our future. Next. All right, my hope is that you're seeing what's happening. By all accounts, the Kurds are in a desperate struggle after this president gave Turkey a green light to start an operation that anyone with a modicum of intelligence had to know would lead to exactly what you're seeing, okay? Blood is flowing, and yet... Here is the reckoning of this president. So I view the situation on the Turkish border with Syria to be for the United States strategically brilliant. Our view? Whom does that include? Because I argue to you that how our leaders deal with this obvious bad act by our president is a window into our future. We start with the fact that some of the president's strongest supporters in the Senate disagree. He will have American blood on his hands if he abandons Kurds because ISIS will come back. And if any American is killed anywhere because of reassurgent ISIS, it will fall on Trump administration. But I think it was a mistake. And I hope it's not too late to uh, stop this aggression. Now, you're not used to hearing that, right? That tells you about how clearly they see this. Takes us to the House.
and a window into our potential future. And by that, I mean impeachment. Why? Because this situation in Syria is such clear proof of bad judgment, bad policy and bad leadership that it serves as a litmus test for whether the right is about principle or patronage. 354 representatives voted to approve a resolution opposing the withdrawal from Syria. That included 129 Republicans. That's a show of force, and it proves that left and right can still be reasonable. But not all could own what should be obvious. 60 members stood with this president, and I argue that evidence is a problem. If you're against having troops in Syria, fine. But that can't justify abandoning allies who depend on us for their survival, can it? Take Louisiana Congressman Ralph Abraham. He told the Kurdish TV station this a year and a half ago. The Kurds that are fighting alongside our American troops, y'all shed blood with us. And we need to respect that. We need to honor that. And we know who our friends are now. He's right. But this president did not honor that. And yet Abraham showed him the respect of obedience anyway, as did Representative John Carter from Texas, who said this the summer before the election. Trump will will do the right thing by those who stand up for America and the Kurds have stood up for the United States of America. Well, Trump won. He was right about that. But then this president did decidedly the wrong thing to the Kurds by his own reckoning. Yet Representative Carter supports him, despite the president spitting in the Kurds' face. I'm not going to get involved in a war between Turkey and Syria, especially when, if you look at the Kurds, and again, I say this with great respect, they're no angels. With great respect, this was a boneheaded decision. And who is an angel among us? Not me. Certainly not our president. But one would think a measure of respect would be found for the 11,000 Kurdish fighters killed fighting for our interests against ISIS. But our president is not alone in exercising bad judgment, even surrendering American ideals in this instance. I argue some or many or maybe close to all of these 60 Republicans who stood with him, they're no angels either. So will they similarly ignore their oath and reality out of fealty to this president if asked to judge his dealings with his Ukrainian counterpart? More importantly, will a significant number of the right in the Senate make the same play to this president? Will they ignore an obvious case of bad judgment and abuse of office, holding up money uh, to Ukraine, backdoor dealings to mislead diplomats, the movement of information to a secret server, all of which was identified by and stupefied a number of his own people? The question is whether these 60 and more importantly, GOP senators of the same disposition, will they stay true to their oath or to Trump? Now, if it's a matter of conviction, fine. All we can ask is integrity. But as with the Syria vote, if you turn a blind eye to the facts showing the same willful blindness it takes to think that turning tail on allies is okay. And this president may have nothing to fear when it comes to removal, but we have a lot 
to be worried about in terms of the integrity of our leadership. That's my argument. Now, here's my question going forward. We're going to show you what's happening to a top Republican who has not chosen fealty. Why do these 60 do what they did? I'll show you. A campaign is afoot. Bolo, be on the lookout for an impeachment era attack. Next. Be on the lookout. It's Bolo time. Today's House vote on Syria shows the conviction of some and the craven disposition of others. But fear leading to fealty makes sense with this president. Take Senator Mitt Romney. He blasted the president's attempts to get Ukraine and China to investigate the Bidens. He says they were brazen, those attempts, and appalling. Now, Club for Growth, the conservative pro-business lobbying group, is running this ad in Utah. Posing as a Republican, he tried to infiltrate Trump's administration as Secretary of State. President Trump is the very man who can lead us to that better future. Now his cover's blown, exposed by news reports as a Democrat's secret asset. This to a man who was once the Republican Party's presidential nominee. Bolo, other Republicans may fear a similar warning shot and stay silent on issues they might actually oppose. Be on the lookout. So. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.